Hello and welcome to the Secular Buddhism Podcast, a podcast that presents Buddhist teachings, concepts, and ideas from a secular perspective. You don't need to use what you learn from Buddhism to be a Buddhist. You can use what you learn to simply be a better whatever you already are. I am your host, Noah Roshetta, and let's jump into today's topic. This is episode number 178. The topic I have in mind for today is a teaching called The Four Investigations, and this is a teaching that comes from the Yogacara school of Buddhism. Yogacara was one of the original Mahayana forms of Buddhism. It was influential in shaping what we know today as Tibetan Buddhism as it spread from India to Tibet. According to the Yogacara teachings, the key to understanding reality is to understand the mind. And there are four investigations that we can use to explore, and these are intended to help us to obtain a correct view or a correct understanding of reality. And I want to talk about these four investigations. Now, if you think about this for a moment, when we talk about the notion of correct view, you may recognize correct view is the first of the Eightfold Path. Uh, sometimes it's translated as skillful view, uh, right view, and that's not right as opposed to wrong. It's more along the lines of correct, correct view as opposed to the incorrect view or the incorrect understanding. And I think this will make sense as we talk about uh, the four investigations. So let's just jump right into that. The first investigation is the, inve the investigation of the names of things. So actually, I'll give you the four so you know them, and then I'll go through each one of them. First is the investigation of the names of things. Second is the investigation of things. Third is the investigation of the nature of things. And fourth is the investigation of the separateness of things. So the first one, the investigation of the names of things. This practice leads to the correct view that names are just names. They are symbols of things. And the key understanding here is that the symbol of a thing is not the same as the thing itself. So an example of this would be the word tree. That is the name we have for a thing. Tree is the word and tree is also the thing. And you'll Rec I mean, you'll know that if, if I say tree, I conjure up the same image in your mind and in my mind. It may not look the same. It may not be the same type of tree or the same size, but now we're at least thinking of the same thing. You know what I mean when I say tree. So keep in mind, there's, there's usefulness to the labels and the names. The point of this exercise is not to um, make names out as if they were bad things or labels as if they were bad things. The idea here is to see things for what they really are. And the, uh, this first investigation is the separation of the name of a thing and the thing itself. So I think it's pretty obvious to all of us that the name of the tree, or, or the word tree, is not the same thing as tree, but that's an important thing to understand. So now that we have that, we move on to the second investigation the investigation of things. This time we're going to investigate the thing itself. This leads to the correct view that things are just things, and our attempt to describe a thing 
will always result in the creation of another name or another label for the thing, but the thing itself is always going to be beyond words. And I think this is kind of a, an interesting conclusion because if you think about the tree, you know, again, it's useful to create labels and, and words, but at the same time, uh, a tree, I mean, how would you describe a tree if you didn't use any words or any concepts, no ideas? How do you describe a tree? I think you would find that things are always beyond words. You know, what is a tree if I'm not calling it a tree? Or if I don't use any words to describe what it is? That's the second one here, the investigation of, of things. The third one is the investigation of the nature of things. What words do we use when we investigate the nature of things? And this leads to the correct view that what seems like the intrinsic nature of things is really just an illusion. There is no intrinsic nature of things. In other words, things do not have an intrinsic nature because things, all, the, all things are made, have causes and conditions. They're made of, of other things. So the example here when we look closely at the tree, uh, what we'll see is that that tree is interdependent with all of the non-tree elements that make the tree a tree. For example, to look at the tree, you'd have to also recognize that that tree um, interacts with the sun and the sunlight and the process of photosynthesis, the cloud and the rain and the rain that gets absorbed through the ground and the dirt into the roots and the air, the air that it, that it breathes. You know, what you end up with is this recognition that the tree is not just a tree. The tree is interdependent with all the other things that make the tree what it is, all the, all the non-tree elements. In other words, there's no such thing as a tree without everything else that is not a tree. So that uh, gives us a, a, a peek into the nature of things. And then that takes us to the fourth investigation. This is the investigation of the separateness of things. What words do we use when we separate things into things that are and things that are not? And looking at a tree, we could do this. Um, you know, we, we, could, we could see the words that we use to create separateness. For example, with a tree, we would use other words like branches, trunk, bark, leaves. These are words that we use to describe this thing, but at the same time, the investigation of the separateness of these things leads us uh, to the correct view that things go beyond notions of this and not this. Like it's inaccurate to say, well, this is a leaf and this other th part is a branch, but the, the branch is not a leaf and the leaf is not a branch. Um, while that's useful for creating meaning and being able to express and communicate, you know, amongst ourselves to say, hey, bring me the branch and don't bring the leaves. I don't need the leaves. That's useful, but it does not coincide with reality. The nature of reality is that um, the, these things go beyond those notions that we give it of separateness. For example, what is the tree and what is not the tree? Can I really separate these things? In Buddhism, you encounter the word suchness. 
And I think this is what's being referred to when you hear this word. The nature of reality is that things are not separate. Uh, things are not independent entities. All things interar, and they form part of the suchness of reality. The fabric, the very fabric of the nature of reality is suchness. It's the interdependent uh, nature of all things. And separateness is something that we see and something that we kind of create in the process of labeling and giving words and giving meaning to things. But at its, its true nature is not the nature of separateness. It's the nature of suchness. It's, it's one with everything. So that's kind of the process that takes place with this fourth investigation, the investigation of the separateness of things. And the idea behind doing this sort of practice, you know, picking an object and doing the four investigations, the investigation of the name of things, the investigation of the thing, the investigation of the nature of the thing, and the investigation of the separateness of the thing, uh, what we find at the conclusion of all of this is that um, hopefully we can start to see the nature of reality, the nature of things what does it look like when we move past all of the conceptualizations and the ideas that we have superimposed over the accurate picture or the accurate reality of how things are? And this can be done on, on any object. I've done this before uh, looking at my kitchen table and the investigation of the name of things, as I call it table, but that's just a name. It's, it's a label that's been given. We could have called it anything else. And in fact, we do. And in different languages, we call it different things. So you have a, a collection of sounds that to one uh, group of people means one thing, and to another group of people, it wouldn't mean anything. But they have a different word that they would use to convey the same idea of what we consider a table. And then you look at the table, and you investigate the table itself, and you realize there's really no way to extract or, or to put into words what a table is. I can describe how we're using this thing, but I can't tell you what the thing is because a table, if you look closely, it's, it's wood. So it's tree. It's, it may be nails. It may be glue. Well, what are the ingredients of glue? You know, you start to look at this and through that interdependent lens and you realize every word I use to describe this fails to accurately describe exactly what it is. And then the investigation of the nature of things, you would say, well, the nature of a, of a table is um, to place things on it. Well, who, who decided that, right? Like we, we use it for that, sure. That's one use, but what if you put the table upside down? Or what if you um, removed the legs of the table and you used the table on its side to cover, I don't know, the window when a hurricane is coming? Is that a table or is it now something else. You know, the, the, the idea here is recognizing there is no inherent nature of a table. There's only the table being used for something, but that's not the same thing as the nature of that table. And then there's the investigation of the separateness of things, where again, can you really separate the table into other, like, where is it the table and when does it become the legs of the table? Or where do we draw these lines of separateness? Is the top of the table, um, the table, but the bottom of the table is not the table, um, you'd realize it's words that create that separation. Well, now I have to call this bottom of the table because I know what words and meanings uh, we've given to these 
labels like what bottom is as opposed to top. But in reality, the nature of the table is it goes beyond words. All right. So I think that this practice can be a powerful exercise when you look at objects, but it can be, become an extremely powerful exercise when you, when you turn the focus from an object, something like a tree, and instead look at yourself. Look at yourself through the same investigative lens and see what you notice when it comes to uh, the investigation of the name that is used to portray you, the investigation of you, the investigation of, of your nature, and, and the investigation of the separateness that you see between you and everything that is not you. And I think you'll find a really neat process that unfolds when we do that. This practice ties in well with a teaching that I talked about in episode 175 called The Two Truths. And the idea here being that there are two ways that we can see the truth of reality. And I, I want to clarify here, I don't think I did in that episode, but the teaching of the, tr of the two truths um, is not the understanding that there are two truths. One is true and one is false, or one is accurate and one is not. It, it, that's uh, The non-dualistic approach here is the understanding that there are two perspectives of seeing the truth, but they are both true. It's not that one is higher than the other or better than the other or more accurate than the other. It's just two different lenses through which we um, interpret and see the truth of reality. So those two lenses, one is to see it through the lens of the relative, and the other is to see it through the lens of the absolute. Relative would be any truth that is relative to either space and time, in other words, when and where we stand, circumstances, both inner and external uh, circumstances, sense faculties, in other words, the senses that we use to perceive our reality, and then the mind, the, the views and beliefs that we hold that interpret our uh, understanding of what is, what is true in reality. So I'll give you a couple of quick examples of these. The space and time would be, in other words, when and where, this is represented in the Buddhist uh, teaching of the blind men describing the elephant, where you have people placed at different spots around the elephant, so they're all describing a reality that is partially correct, but it's missing the larger picture because of where they stand in space and time. The person standing at the side, feeling the side of the elephant, will describe something different than the person standing at the front, feeling the trunk. And you get the idea. The idea here is that the truth for each of these, um, each of these people will be relative to where where they stand in space and time. Um, so that that's one form of relative truth. The other one is circumstances, the uh, inner or outer circumstances of a of an object. An example I like to give here: you could say H two O is water. H two O is um, it's a it's a liquid. Well, that would be a relative truth because it's relative to the conditions in certain temperatures. What we know to be water would actually be hard. It would be ice, or at other temperatures, it would be um, it would be vapor, and it's something that you can't even feel. It's not hard or or soft. It's just uh, it's a vapor. But anyway, you get the idea. You change the circumstances, and now the truth of a thing also changes with those circumstances. Then you have the relative truths, 
centered around sense faculties. An example I like to give here, if I were to say, oh, that sound is really loud, well, that's a relative truth. It's relative to how I hear versus how you hear. Uh, for you, it may not be loud. For me, it may be loud. And when we get into uh, comparing uh, across other species, this becomes really obvious. There are sounds that dogs can hear that we can't. There are sounds that some animals would interpret as that's a really low frequency sound, but for us it would be that's a really high frequency sound. And you get the idea. It's our sense faculties that determine what seems true for us. I think the example I gave in that podcast episode was uh, with sense uh, sense faculties would be what I interpret to be cold is relative to me, and a polar bear might say, well, that's not cold at all. It's actually, to the polar bear, it feels warm or hot. So again, these are truths that are conditioned upon our sense faculties. Then we have the uh, relative truths that are conditioned on the mind, and these are influenced by views or beliefs. These can be personal uh, family, societal, religious, cultural norms that we've adopted as as cultural views and beliefs. An example of this would be um, red means stop and green means go. There's no uh, absolute truth to that. That's a relative truth that is a cultural truth that we all collectively believe in. And um, because of that collective view, we're able to you know, safely stop and go through intersections. So it's not to say that relative truths are bad. They're just a different lens for looking at what is true that is um, not the same as when we look through the lens of what is absolute. And that's what the point of these four investigations, that's what the point of that exercise is, is to try to start to see what is the absolute truth uh, when we're uh, investigating things, especially ourselves. So the absolute truth would be seeing things through that lens of impermanence, through that lens of interdependence, trying to see things without the conceptualizations that we've superimposed. In other words, the words, the ideas, the name itself, the labels, you know, what does it look like when you strip it from all of that and you see it with the interrelationship it has with all of the, um, the items, all of the other things, I guess we could say, that are not that thing. So that is the essence of the teaching of the four investigations. I hope that the topic from today's podcast episode gives you something to think about and that when it comes to how we see things and how we interpret our reality, that this exercise, or at least this new perspective, will help you to have um, a new outlook on what it means to see reality as it is and what that does for you uh, to have this as a, as a practice, as an exercise, or just as a concept in, in your mental framework now as you go about engaging with your own reality. And uh, as always, I look forward to recording another episode on another topic at some point, sometime soon, hopefully. And thank you for taking the time to listen. Thank you for listening to the Secular Buddhism Podcast. If you enjoyed today's topic and you want to learn more, visit secularbuddhism.com where I have links to my books, courses, podcast episodes, and information for how to join the Secular Buddhism Podcast community. Thank you for listening. Until next time.